Welcome, everyone. We're so glad you're here with us today. Welcome, Smyrna Campus. We're glad you guys are, are joining us. Anybody connecting with us online today, we're so glad that you have found us there. We have had torrential rains here in Nashville this morning, and a lot of the roads are flooding. The back roads are having some flooding issues, so Welcome to those of you who braved the weather and got here in person, face-to-face -face as well. But we understand also the many connecting online today. We are in a series that we started last week called Stronger Together. And this series is based on a theme verse in the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. In Ecclesiastes chapter 4, beginning with verse 9, it says this, Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up, but pity anyone who falls and has no one to help them up. Also, if two lie down together, they'll keep warm, but how can one keep warm alone? Though one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves. And then he says this, a cord of three strands is not quickly broken. Last week, we introduced this idea of the cord being made up of strands that are woven together because the strands by themselves are not nearly as strong as the cord is once you wind them all together, braid them together. And we started looking at how we are stronger as Christ followers when we have the right things put together in our lives. And we started with the idea last week that we are stronger when we're in Christ. Remember that passage in John 15? He's the vine and we are the branches. So the branches can only produce fruit, can only have life, can only be strong and productive when they're connected to the vine. We're going to continue that idea today. Uh, today's message is called Stronger in Weakness. Stronger in our weakness. And it sounds like a contradiction. It sounds like those two things couldn't possibly go together, that, that when we're weak, that's when we're really strong. Paul shed some light on this in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12. Paul has been talking about how God gave him this great vision. He allowed Paul to see things that no other human being had been able to see. He took him up into what Paul calls the third heaven and allowed him to look and see what it was like there. Now, in the ancient world, they talked about the heavens in three levels. They talked about the, the heavens uh, that are right here on the earth, the atmosphere around us was called heaven. Then they used the term, the second heaven was like outer space heaven where the stars and everything exist. But then they knew there was another existence beyond that that they referred to as the third heaven. That's where God dwells. And, and so Paul said, that I had this great revelation. And then he says, God... In order to keep him from becoming too arrogant, too egotistical, gave him something he calls a thorn in the flesh. That thorn in the flesh was there to keep him humble. Now, some people don't have any trouble with humility, but a lot of human beings battle the ego. The ego can really get in the way of allowing God to lead and direct and, and teach us. Uh, you're not very teachable when you're egotistical, and that could be a real weakness. You see, sometimes strength, what we think of as strength, can actually be a weakness for us. And that's what Paul is saying here in 2 Corinthians, he's talking about the fact that God allowed him to have this 
so that he would not be egotistical. And in verses 9 and 10, he said this. Uh, verse 8, he said, uh, he asked God three times to take this thorn in the flesh away. Now, we don't know what the thorn in the flesh was. Some people have guessed maybe it was poor eyesight because of some other things that Paul has said about writing in large letters when he wrote and things like that. Because sometimes if you don't see well, you write bigger so that you can see it yourself. We don't know exactly what a thorn in the flesh was. And I think that's good because all of us can kind of relate to that. All of us have something about ourselves that we necessarily, wouldn't necessarily like. We wouldn't have chosen for ourselves. Uh, some of you, it might be, you think you're too tall, and I feel so sorry for you. Yeah, but whatever it is, we all have something, right? And, and Paul is saying, this something, this thorn in the flesh that I had, I didn't want to have it. And so three times I went to God and asked him to take it away from me. But we find out God's response beginning with verse 9. He said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. And he adds this statement. Listen to this. For when I am weak, then I'm strong. I mean, it seems like a contradiction, doesn't it? But he says, because I'm connected to Christ, because I'm, I'm the branch connected to the vine, it's in the vine, it's in Christ that I'm strong. You see, the branches aren't the strength that produces the crop. It's the vine that's the source of strength. And when we can understand our weakness can be something that's an advantage if we accept the power and the strength that God gives us, then we're not so egotistical anymore in our lives. So that's the paradox of the Christian life. The Christian life is a, uh, is a revolutionary way of living. It's totally different than the way the world lives. It's an upside down kingdom. Jesus said in his kingdom, the greatest will be the least and the least will be the greatest. You see how upside down that is compared to the way the world thinks life ought to be lived. And so, as Paul discovered, we have to understand that, that as we saw last week, we need that connection to Christ more than ever because we are really weak and in need of the strength that he can provide. So, I want to spend the rest of our time today talking about three ways that we can find the strength of Christ in our lives. Three steps that we need to take. The first step is acknowledge our weakness. We have to admit, we have to acknowledge, we have to confess that we're just the branch. We are not the vine. If we could come to grips with that, then, then we can have the strength that we're looking for. I was reading again this week, I had read it a long time ago, the, the most dreaded question of a job interview. Do you know what it is? Tell me what your weaknesses are. Now, now that's a loaded question. Uh, no matter which way you go with your answer, right? If you expose some great flaw in your life that relates to your job, then it could keep you from getting the job. But if you act like you don't have any weaknesses, they're going to think this guy is full of himself, right? He's too egotistical. We don't need him. It won't be a good match with the others here in the office. And, and so no matter which way you go, there's danger there when you talk about your greatest weakness, 
thejobsitemonster.com. Uh, it's a job search website. And they gave some recommendations on how to answer that question. And one of the recommendations they gave was disguise your weakness as a strength. All right? So you, you put a spin on it, right? To, make, to, to act like you're talking about a weakness, but, but actually spin it around so that you say it like it's really a strength. Like, here's an example they gave. I tend to be a bit of a perfectionist, so I can be too hard on myself, right? You're saying you've got a weakness, but you're actually saying, man, I work hard to do everything right. So you see, you're making your weakness like it's actually a strength. Or, or you might say, I probably work a little too hard at my job, so my life can get a little out of balance. Well, what you're actually telling them is, I'm a hard worker. You need to hire me, right? You're not really talking about a weakness there. You're making it sound like a strength. Uh, it's, it's easy to spin it a little bit. Or they say, here's another approach you could take. You can tell them what your weakness is, but then you can twist it around and tell them how you've overcome it and, and how you understand what you need to do to still be good even with that weakness. So you, you say, well, I tend to be very task-oriented, but I've learned that the best way to get something done is to involve a team of people, right? So, so you're saying, you know, I can get too focused on a task, getting a task done, but I know how to handle that now. I've learned that that's a weakness for me, but my strength is I've learned how to build a team and work with a team. Here's the bottom line. We all struggle a little bit with admitting our weaknesses from time to time. We all would like to think of ourselves as strong. Even if we know we have weaknesses, and I think all of us do know that, we, we don't like to admit those weaknesses, to confess those weaknesses. One approach they said you could take is give an area of weakness that has nothing to do with the job that you have. For example, I might be interviewing for a job and I say, what's your greatest weakness? I say, well, I tend to get injured on the basketball court. Well, it's got nothing to do with the job unless I'm applying, you know, for the pros or something. But, but it has nothing to do with the job. So it's not really a weakness that would be applicable to what they're asking me about. That's kind of the mentality that most of us go through life with. That perception that we want to make people think we're stronger than we are. We're kind of living a little bit in a way of putting on a show so that we don't let our weaknesses be seen by the people around us. I'll give you an example. I, I try to work out some, and I'm not fanatical about it. I'm not really strict about it. Uh, and I, from time to time, have tried joining a gym, and I don't like going to the gym, so I usually just work out at home. But the few times I've tried to go to a gym and work out, it, it, it has happened almost every time. There'll be a, some other guy in the gym that is so competitive that no matter what weight I'm doing or what I'm, you know, what kind of exercise I'm doing, he thinks he's got to do more weight than me or more reps than me, right? He's got to one-up me no matter what I'm doing. And I'm not in there to be competitive at all. I, I just want to do the best I can with what I've got to work with, right? And, you know, you just do what you can. But here's what I noticed a guy doing one time in the gym. We were, I was doing kind of circuits where you go from one machine to another. And he was on a machine that was a bench press machine. Uh, and I was going to go to it after him, and I'd done that once round already, and I was about to do it again. I was waiting on him to get done. And he didn't see me watch when he did it, but here's what he did. He did about eight reps, 
But before he got up, he moved the pen down. He had been working with about 150 pounds, and he moved it down to 250 pounds and put the pen in there before he got up and left the bench. So that when I got there after him, it would look like he had been doing reps with 250 pounds, right? He was just so determined to make it look like he didn't have any weakness. He was stronger than me. And I didn't care one way or another. If he had done 250, I would have moved it back up a little. I don't care, right? I, I'm not there to impress. But, but that doesn't mean I don't struggle with this too. We all have this, this ego in us that will allow that will cause us sometimes not to want to show weakness to anybody else and we put on this false perception that we're strong when we're not really that strong the bible teaches that when we acknowledge our own weaknesses we're in a perfect place to receive god's strength but until you're willing to acknowledge your weakness you're not open to receiving the strength and the power of God into your life. You see, if you don't admit there's a need, you never seek what would meet the need in your life. And we could keep faking it all we want, but we need the strength of God. The sooner we acknowledge that, that we're weak and he's strong and we need what he offers, the better off we'll be. Paul said to the church in 1 Corinthians 1.27, here's what he told us. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. Isn't that amazing? That's the paradox. That's the upside down kingdom of God. He chose the weak things to show out over those that think they're strong. Those that think they're so strong on their own never look to God for their strength. And all we have to do to see how this works is just read the Bible. If you just read the history of God's people, God has always used weak, flawed people to do great and powerful things when they acknowledge their need for God and God's power. Right? You've read some of these things. I read one again recently. It just said this. Abraham was old. Leo was unattractive. Moses stuttered. Elijah was depressed. Jeremiah was stressed. Jonah was cowardly. John the Baptist was eccentric. Peter could be pretty impulsive. Martha worried a lot. Zacchaeus was dishonest and short. Thomas had doubts. Paul, we already know, was in poor health. Timothy was timid. And Zacchaeus, I mean, Lazarus was dead. And God used all of them. In powerful ways. And the list could go on. That's just a sample of what God did. Here's what you have to know. The reason God uses those that are weak is because it's the only kind he has to work with. Because the people that think they're strong won't ever let God use them. They think they're going to do it on their own. They think they got it. They don't need what God would bring to their lives. So if you think you're so strong, you're never going to let God do the work in you that he wants to do with you. So this relationship, let's go back to, to that relationship with the vine and the branches. That's what makes this relationship so vitally important. You see, if we understand that without that connection to the vine, we can never have the strength and the resources that we would have if we were connected, then we're more likely to make the effort to stay connected to the vine. I read recently when I was developing this series 
I went back to it again. I had read it a while back. There's a, uh, in London, uh, outside of London, in Hampton Court, there's a grapevine there that they say is over 1,000 years old. Some of its branches, now you have to understand the way uh, a grapevine works, remember. Uh, it's got a vine that comes up, and it's usually only about waist high or chest high. It's about as tall as the vine gets. And then the branches go out from there, okay? And, and this, this grapevine, uh, it, has, it has a vine about this high, but then the branches run out. Some of its branches go out for over 200 feet long, okay? And they've built these trellises for them for, to run out on up off the ground for 200 feet out there. And, and they prune it every so often. Remember, we'll talk more about that again, where they prune it, but the branches keep coming back and growing stronger as they prune them. And here's the thing about this grapevine. It bears several tons of grapes every year, and it's been doing that for over 1,000 years because it's well cared for and the branches stay connected to the vine. You see, as soon as they cut one of the branches off, it won't produce anymore. No matter how good it looks, no matter how strong it seems to be, if they cut it back from the vine, it will never produce again. But if it stays connected to the life-giving source of the vine, then it will be strong in its production. And Jesus says, I want you to understand, I am the vine. You are just the branches. You are not on your own strong enough to produce what I want you to produce in your life. You're not. And when you understand your weakness and your need for the vine, then you'll stay connected to the vine so that you'll have that strength for your life. Let's go back to John 15 again in verse 1. Let's, let's look at what he says, something specifically here that he says. He says, I am the, what's that word? True vine. I'm the true vine, he says. Now that indicates that there are other vines out there that are false vines that look good on the outside, that promise a lot on the surface, and want to convince you that connecting to them is where you're going to have the best life. They want to convince you that they can give you what actually only God can give you. Wealth, power, position, right? Status. We think if we could get those things, connect to those things, that's where we're going to have strength. That's where we're going to be powerful people. There are a lot of people right now because of the pandemic and it lasting so long who've had businesses completely shut down. Here's what they thought before it happened. Our business is so strong. We're making so much money. We've got so much power, so much influence, nothing can touch us. And many of them right now are struggling just to stay afloat. You see, they attach to the wrong vine for their strength. Nothing wrong with running a good business and making a lot of money. As long as you understand that's not your source or your life. The source for your life is your connection to God in Christ. That's where the real strength comes from. We get into the most trouble when we try to make ourselves divine, I think. Well, we think we are self-sufficient, self-sustaining. I'm going to find strength from within. In fact, that's pretty much the American way, isn't it? 
You just tighten up your bootstraps and work harder and do more and you're going to be successful. You just have to work harder, right? Just look from, look within for your strength. Isn't that what we're told? You have to look within for your strength. And so we get deceived into believing in a false vine when we think we are the ones who are the source of the strength looking within. I mean, all you have to do, you see that message out there, is watch any of the, the, the daytime talk shows or listen to the seminars of some of the speakers that are out there or look at the bookshelves where over 2,000 self-help books are published every single year. 2,000 every year. Live your best life. Just look within, right? It's a false vine. Of course you should work hard. Of course you should try hard. But you shouldn't do it in your own strength thinking that's the source. You must understand you're weak, I'm weak. You remember back in Exodus chapter 3, Moses has left Egypt. He ran for his life because he had murdered someone. They knew they were out. He knew they were out to get him, so he fled the country. And now he's living out in, in Midian, and he's got a father-in-law now. He's gotten married, and his father-in-law gives him a job tending his sheep for him. And for 40 years, Moses has been tending sheep, and he's getting a little older now. And one day, Moses is out there in the, in the wilderness with, uh, where he was tending sheep, and he saw this bush that was on fire. You remember the story of the burning bush? It's burning, but it's not being consumed. The fire's just continuing to go. Normally, dry brush out there in the desert would burn up very quickly. This one is still just continuing to burn. And Moses recognizes it's something significant, and he takes off his shoes as he approaches what he sees now as holy ground there. And God speaks to him from that burning bush. And God says, Moses, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go back to Egypt and go to Pharaoh, the most powerful man in the world right now, and tell him to let your people go. Now, Moses has been humbled for 40 years. He's working out in the middle of nowhere as a shepherd. He's got no position of power, no influence of his own. And God says, I want you to go to the most powerful, influential person in the eyes of the world and demand that he let your people go. And Moses understood how weak he really was. Look at Exodus 3, beginning with verse 11. Here's what Moses said to God. Who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and bring the Israelites out of Egypt? And God said, I will be with you, and this will be a sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you will worship God on this mountain. You know what God didn't tell Moses to do? Just look within yourself, Moses. You've got it in you, man. You can do this. That's not what he told him, is it? He didn't say, Moses, what you got to do is just really work on your presentation. You got to clean up a little bit. You look nasty out here in the desert, right? Clean up a little bit, shave, put on some good clean clothes, Practice your speech and get ready and go in there and really be impressive, Moses. That's not what he told Moses to do. He says, you tell Pharaoh, God sent you to tell him to let his people go. 
you point, Pharaoh, to the power and the strength of your God, not to your strength that you, that you understand you don't really have anyway. You see, the sooner we understand we don't have that power and that strength on our own, the more likely it is we'll be open to God doing his powerful work in our lives. Just be the branch. Don't try to be the vine. Be the branch. So the first step, right? Acknowledge your weakness. Then the second step is accept God's pruning in your life. Accept God's pruning. That's not fun. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 2 of John 15. He, God, the gardener, cuts off every branch of me that bears no fruit, while every branch that does bear fruit he prunes so that it will be even more fruitful. Now, the first time I read that to prepare to teach a lesson on it, I thought I had misread it because I didn't know anything like I talked about last week. We got these rose bushes that we're told we had to prune for them to be healthy. I didn't understand any of that kind of stuff. And so the first time I read this verse, I didn't really understand it. I thought I misunderstood what the verse was saying. I thought it made sense to me that God would prune the branches that weren't bearing fruit. Doesn't that make sense? They're not producing. Why wouldn't you prune those off? That's not what he says. He says the gardener prunes those fruit-bearing branches. He cuts them back. Now, he doesn't say he cuts them off. He says he prunes them. He cuts them back. And he says the result of that is they're going to be healthier and they're going to produce even more fruit. Wow. Now, I didn't understand it at first, but the more I learned about, you know, growing fruit or growing flowers and things like that, the more I began to read, that's a normal process that gardeners understood a long, long time ago that if you prune the healthy branches, they come back stronger and produce even more. And God knew that all along and he made us that way, to work that way. He made our lives to work that way. And so we need, if we're gonna grow in strength, we've got to accept God's pruning in our lives. And it's not easy to do because it hurts to be pruned. It hurts to be pruned. Some of you are going through some pruning right now. I think all of us have been for a while now with this pandemic going through some pruning, right? It's not something we welcome into our lives. It's not pleasant. We don't like having to restrict our, our movements and our travel and our contact with other people. We don't like having to restrict that. And, and, and it's, a, it's a pruning. But what it's made some people do is form a greater dependency on God because we can't fix this ourselves, Right? It's caused us to focus more on our dependence on God for our lives and our health. But sometimes he uses health problems for some pruning in your lives. You could be going right along in good health, everything going good, and then bam, something happens, and all of a sudden your health is not good. And maybe you didn't even appreciate the good health that you had until you had something like that happen. You just took it for granted that you would always be healthy, right? Maybe financially, you're going along and you start thinking you're self-sufficient because you're making lots of money and you can take care of yourself. You don't need anybody. And then that's taken away for a little while. It's a pruning that happens. And all of a sudden you realize, maybe I should have been more connected to God and dependent on God instead of thinking I had this on my own. It could be a relationship thing. Sometimes pruning in relationships is one of the best things that can happen to you because you weren't in a healthy relationship to start with, a relationship you shouldn't have been in anyway. 
and there has to be a pruning there in order for you to get healthy again. It could be a lot of different things. God uses hard things, though, that are really an act of love, even though we suffer some pain for a little while. And that's hard for us. We get mad at God and we blame God and we argue with God because we're hurting. And why would God let us hurt when in fact going through that pain is exactly what we needed to get us back to where God needed us to be all along. We needed to go through some pruning so that we could be healthy again. Listen to this scripture, Hebrews 12, verse 11. No discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, here's what it does. It produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who've been trained by it. I wish more parents understood this for their children, right? Of course it's not pleasant to discipline the children, but it pays off dividends down the road that are good for your children's lives. And if you don't have that discipline in their lives, that will also produce a harvest, but it won't be a harvest of righteousness. It'll be a harvest of unrighteousness down the road. See the difference there? So he says, discipline's not pleasant, but it produces good things. Listen to James chapter one, verse two. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. He says, when you go through trials of all kinds, it's hard and it's painful, but it produces growth and maturity in your life if you stay connected to the vine as you go through it. See, that's the key. If you get disconnected from the, God, the vine, then all that pain and suffering is just pain and suffering. There's no good in it. But if you stay connected to the vine through the hard things, then God produces good results, maturing, and he brings into your life all that you need to grow up and be who he designed you to be. So Christ takes all of those things and they, he uses them to make us stronger and increase our faith and he can produce more fruit from all of us. So acknowledge your weakness, accept God's pruning. All the while, do the third thing the whole time. Abide in Christ the whole time. Abide in Christ. Finding strength in God means that you abide. The key, it's the key to everything. The NIV translates it remain in me, Right? Remain in me. This word is used 11 times in 11 verses in John chapter 15. Just, just listen to this. Just verses 4 and 5. Listen to how many times he says it. Remain in me as I also remain in you. No branch can bear fruit by itself. It must remain in the vine. Neither can you bear fruit unless you remain in me. I'm the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. Do you think he was trying to emphasize this to us? Absolutely. Remain, abide, stay connected to me all the time, through everything. Now, if you're like me, you don't get too excited about this verb translated abide or remain. I mean, it kind of just says, just get where you need to be and hold on. And, and we like to think, but I need to do something else, right? I need to do something in order to receive God's strength and blessing into my life. Like it's based on our production that we're gonna get this. Jesus says, no, it's based on the connection. You just abide. You just stay connected to me. 
Now, staying connected does involve action. If you're going to stay connected to Jesus, it's not just sit there and do nothing. That's not what he's saying. He's saying stay where you need to be to keep this connection strong. That means stay in prayer, stay in the word, stay in fellowship with other Christians, stay in your life group, stay in those things uh, that, that will keep you connected to the vine. Stay there consistently because that's where you're going to keep drawing the strength from God that you need for your life. And as soon as you stop abiding in those things that keep you connected to him, you get weaker and weaker and you stop producing the fruit that God wants you to produce. It goes against a little bit the American way, right? In the American way, we, we think it's all about working a little harder and then we'll get there. But in God's kingdom, it's about the spiritual disciplines, staying connected, abiding in Christ. It's about just staying where you need to be in your relationship with him. It, remember last week we talked about this. It's connection and then production. It's not production that gives you the connection. It's connection that gives you the production. We got to get it back the other way around in our lives. Will we work more on the connection and the production will just happen because of the connection. That's where the production comes from. It comes from the connection. So that's his message. Jesus, when he tells them, I'm the vine, you're the branches, remember, he doesn't have much time left with those disciples. So he's emphasizing, before I go, guys, I want to remind you of what's more important in your life than anything else. And if we were to list priorities in our lives, sometimes we list priorities that sound good because we know what we should say. And so we say, God first, right? Then maybe if you're, if you're married, you say, then, then my spouse next. If you have kids, then maybe you say, and then kids next. And you know the order you're supposed to do it. And then maybe family or career, uh, you know, comes down the line after that. That's the order we put it in if we're asked to list our priorities, especially if we're talking to somebody that we know looks at us as a Christ follower. We know the order we're supposed to put it in. But here's what we have to get real honest about. If we look at how we spend our time and our money and our energy, what we're really giving the most to, what order would those priorities be in? Because those are your real priorities. The things you spend the most time on, the most money on, the most energy on, those things really are your highest priorities, no matter what you say, no matter what list you write out. So when we evaluate our lives in light of this connection being the most important thing, we have to ask ourselves, are we really living out a life where the top priority is connection to God through his son Jesus? Is that getting the most time and energy and effort from us and how we're spending our lives right now? Is that where we're spending ourselves the most? everything about our lives because if we want to have the strength to live the way God wants us to live we've got to get that back to the top of the priority list not just on the list but in reality and how we're spending our days and our lives it begins with the connection making it what it ought to be in Acts chapter 4 Peter and John two of Jesus disciples have been arrested 
They were arrested for healing a, a, a crippled man. And it caused an uproar in town. And, and so the authorities arrested them because they thought they created this uproar. And, and they said they, they healed this guy in the name of Jesus. And they were trying to stop uh, the spread of this belief in Jesus. So they arrested Peter and John. And uh, they were putting them uh, coming before the authorities and, and questioning Peter and John. And Peter and John were very bold in how they answered the authorities. We healed this man by the power of the risen Lord. They, they proclaimed Jesus is risen and alive and he's Lord and he's powerful. And they looked at Peter and John and it says they were amazed at their courage. Listen to Acts 4 verse 13. It says, when they saw the courage of Peter and John, and listen to the next phrase, and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. You know what they're saying? Peter and John didn't look very impressive. You would not have expected them to be so bold and courageous and well-spoken and powerful in what they were doing. Just to look at Peter and John, we don't know what they look like, but chances are they could have been short like me or they could have been, they were already getting a little older then or maybe they were, they were bald. You know, some of you worry about losing your hair. Maybe, you know, you don't know what it was, but they didn't look impressive in the eyes of the world at all. And they were astonished at how powerfully and boldly they spoke out when, they, when their lives were at stake here. If they had just pandered to the authorities, they could have gotten away easily. They could have just said, oh, I'm sorry we created a stir. We won't do that anymore. But they refused to do that. What caused them to be so strong and powerful? Here's what it says. When they realized they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished. And they took note that these men had been with Jesus. That's where the power was. That's where the effectiveness was. That's where the astonishment came from. Was these weak men could be so powerful and they understood the connection between the weakness that they had and the power they had. The connection was Jesus. They had spent time with, they were connected to Jesus. Does our family see that in us? Do our coworkers see that in us? the people in the marketplace we do business with and interact with, do they see that we're not trying to be impressive ourselves, but what's impressive about us is our time we've been connected to Jesus. That's what gives us courage and power and influence that God wants us to have. And that's the kind of person God can use to produce the fruit that he wants to produce in our lives. In order to abide with Christ like that, you've got to first connect with Christ. You've got to move from being outside of Christ to being in Christ. Instead of doing it on your own, you're doing it in his power, in his strength now. How do you move from being outside of Christ to being in Christ? In Galatians 3, verse 26, Paul said this. So in Christ Jesus, you're all children of God through faith. That's where it starts. Do you put your faith and your trust in Jesus? Are you willing to give him your life, the control of your life, power over your life? Are you willing to say, I am weak, but I know you're strong, and so I, in my weakness, I'm going to come to you and put my trust in you, my faith and my confidence in you, because I know I don't need to have it in myself anymore. Are you going to start with that? Because that's where it starts, this connection to the vine. 
starts with putting your faith in Christ. And then he adds this, for all of you who were baptized into Christ have clothed yourselves with Christ. Did you hear that? He says, if you believe, if you have that faith, then what you're going to do is take the step that he's commanding you to take, which is to be baptized into Christ. So you're going to move from being outside of Christ to being where? Being in Christ. You're baptized into Christ Jesus. And then he says this, listen to this, what happens? You've clothed yourselves with Christ. He says, there's neither Jew or Gentile or slave or free, neither male or female. You're all one in Christ. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Make the connection here. Listen. Being an heir has nothing to do with you being strong and impressive. It has everything to do with what family you belong to who you're connected to. That's what makes you an heir of the promise that God gave to Abraham, that he would bless all nations through him. If you want to be part of that inheritance that he promised to Abraham, then it comes by being connected to the family through Jesus. That's what gives you that position. That's what gives you that influence. That's what gives you that power. That's how you inherit the promise of God in your life. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you that we've been reminded today of, of the need to understand how weak we really are. Help us to get our egos out of the way, our pride out of the way. Help us to stop trying to impress people with our own strength and ability. There's no real power there. That can be taken away so quickly, so easily. Help us to grasp and understand our need to be connected to the vine. And I pray, Father, if anybody today has not made that step of connection, that even today they would take that step, they would place their faith in Jesus and then they'd be willing to understand that because they surrender themselves in faith to him, they can become obedient through baptism. They can go from being outside of Christ to being clothed with Christ, to being in him, connected to him. Father, I pray that whoever needs to take that step would take it even now so that they could, they could start living out the life where you can use them to produce the good fruit that you want to produce in them. It's in Jesus' name that we pray, amen.